If you have your Bibles this morning, I'll ask that you open them up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. That is where we're going to be at in just a few moments. John chapter 12. As I shared with the early group in our first service today, I am going to make a promise. Very rarely do I do this because you never know what is going to happen. But I am promising you today we are going to finish up with chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. There's no doubt about that unless, you know there was a qualifying statement coming on the heels of that, unless the Lord returns, if the Lord returns, you want to keep studying in John chapter 12, you feel free to go ahead and keep studying. I won't be here to lead you anymore at that time, all right? But you can feel like you can go on with that if you would like. Or the Lord calls me home, and then at that time, it's just like what I said this morning. I said, Brother Travis will finish up. Y'all don't cry for me. I'm in a better place. And so he'll finish up chapter 12. I just won't be with you at that time, all right? So you ready, brother? All right, we never know what the Lord's going to do. So I just wanted to make sure. John chapter 12, if you've been with us on Sunday morning, we've been walking verse by verse through the gospel of John, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I hope that God has really spoken into your heart as we studied through this great gospel message. The title, or what we're calling this series of sermons, is Getting to Know Jesus, Believe, and Live. That was the desire of John for his readers. If you were here last week, we focused on the cross. Jesus Christ made this statement in last Sunday's passage of Scripture we looked at. He said, My hour has come. If you remember to this point, till chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ has continued to tell His followers and those that are closest to Him, My hour has not yet arrived. But all of a sudden, beginning in chapter 12, there is a change in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And from this point forward, Jesus Christ is no longer teaching them that His hour has not yet come. Now He begins to show them that His hour has arrived. Now we know when Jesus Christ makes that statement, He is referring to His death at the cross. That what Jesus was preparing to do was to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father had always been that Jesus Christ would step out of heaven, wrap Himself in human flesh, dwell here on earth among people, revealing to them who God is in the human flesh, and that He willingly would go to a cruel cross, hang there and die to pay the penalty for sin. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is going to do. He clearly announces that last week, and we talked about the cross. I asked you to look up at the cross, and when you look up at the cross, what do you see? You know, somehow or another, I believe in our world today, we have diminished the significance of the cross in our Christian lives. We hang it on the walls of our homes. We dangle it from our rearview mirrors of our cars. We gold-plated and silver-plated, and we wear it as jewelry. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. I have crosses displayed in different areas of my life, but I wonder if there's not just a familiarity that has happened in our life as followers of Jesus Christ with the cross. But I would tell you this morning, that is not true among the writers of the New Testament and with Jesus Christ. 
The significance of the cross was never lost on the writers of the New Testament and on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made this statement, or I'm sorry, Paul made this statement concerning the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, I preach Jesus crucified. At the center of all that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ is the fact that our Lord and Savior willingly went to a cruel cross. He hung there, he died to pay the penalty for our sin. And we know that God accepted his sacrifice for a full payment of sin because on the third day he rose him from the grave. If God doesn't accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ is still in the grave. But he showed that he accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice for sin. It was complete through the death of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want you to think about this morning as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture that is found in verses 36 through 49 of John chapter 12. This is what I want you to consider. When you hear the word tragedy, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? When you hear the word tragedy, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, if you've been watching TV over the last several days, or perhaps you've been on social media or looking at something like that, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is the coronavirus. That's pretty tragic, isn't it? As we think about the numbers of people who have died as a result of being infected by that particular virus and a number of people who are sick and ill as a result of it. Some of you may think of some kind of national calamity that has taken place. Maybe you think when you hear the word tragedy, maybe what you think of are the, the Twin Towers and what took place there. Or maybe you think of some natural disaster. Perhaps when you hear the word tragedy, what comes to your mind is Hurricane Harvey. And that was a tragic event, wasn't it? That was a tragedy for many people's lives. Lost everything. Or maybe you think of some tragic event that has happened in your life or a family member's life. And when you hear of that, you think of a tragedy. I know in my own personal life, when I hear the word tragedy, I oftentimes think of the loss of a cousin who was killed in a car accident just up the road from here. If you lived in this area, you knew of the five who were killed that were going to school at Lumberton, three of them were high school graduates, two of them were sophomores, one of them was my cousin that was killed in that car accident. That's a tragedy. And you may think of other things when you hear the word tragedy this morning. But what if I told you, when I think of the word tragedy, I don't really think about any of those things. But when I think of the word tragedy, I believe the greatest tragedy of all 
is for a person to understand who Jesus Christ is. To have heard the gospel message many times in their life. Seen the evidence concerning Jesus Christ. And they continually choose to reject the truth and walk in unbelief. I believe that is the greatest tragedy of all. We're going to be introduced this morning to a group of people who were just like that. John is going to introduce them to us in the first part of this passage of Scripture. They had seen all of the miracles of Jesus Christ. They had heard His teachings. They had seen the signs that He had performed. They had seen before their very eyes God in the human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. They had seen how the Old Testament prophecies had been fulfilled time and time again in his life. And they still chose to walk in unbelief. I mean, listen to the words of John and how he introduces this passage of Scripture. He says in verse 37, Though he, that is a reference to Jesus Christ, though Jesus Christ had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. When I read those words, Those are some of the most tragic words that we find anywhere in Scripture. What a tragedy to understand who Jesus Christ is in the sense that you've seen all of the works that He has done. You have seen firsthand His miracles. You have heard His teachings. You have even acknowledged that this man is different than any man that you've ever met in your life and you still choose to walk in unbelief. Now, you've heard me make this statement before, but I would say it again. It is not for a lack of evidence that people choose to walk in unbelief. It is because of the hardening of their hearts that they choose to walk in unbelief. I mean, think about the world that we live in today. Think about the numbers of people in America alone who have been introduced to Jesus Christ. They've heard about His miracles. Many of them have even opened their Bibles and read words about who Jesus Christ is. They've heard the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in human flesh. They've heard all of that. They've seen the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, and yet they still choose to walk in unbelief. I would say that is a great tragedy. Now the key to understanding this passage of Scripture is found in one word. 
It is the word believe. The word believe appears seven different times in this text. In the first part of the text, John uses it in a negative way, with a negative connotation referring to those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Later on in the second part of this passage, Jesus Christ is going to speak about believe, actually belief, and what it truly means to believe in Him. This morning in the time that we have together, what I really would like for us to do is I want to share with you two different themes that are clearly seen in this passage of Scripture. The first theme is the theme of unbelief that is found in verses 36 down through 43. In the second part of this text this morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments about the theme belief that Jesus Christ points to that he speaks about in verses 44 through 49. So if you have your Bibles this morning, pick them up and let's begin reading right here. We're going to begin reading halfway through verse 36 because verse 36 picks up with our passage of Scripture. Listen to what it says here. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is just a few days before Jesus Christ would die on the cross for the sins of mankind. He has been scrutinized in Jerusalem by the religious leaders. Jesus now chooses to withdraw from the crowd and hide himself. We're not told exactly where it is that Jesus Christ travels to and where he chooses to hide himself at. Some scholars think, well, maybe Jesus Christ went back to Bethany and for the next couple of days, he's going to be in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were very close to him. It was only five miles away from the city of Jerusalem. He will reappear on the Passover, but for at least right now, Jesus Christ has removed himself from the crowd. Now think about that for a moment. That would be logical, right? Jesus Christ knows what looms on the horizon, doesn't he? There is no doubt he has gotten along to go and to contemplate what is fixing to take place in his life. If you remember in this passage or in chapter 12, Jesus Christ says in verse 21, Now is my soul troubled. It wasn't because Jesus Christ was a coward. Jesus Christ was no coward. Jesus Christ stood in the face of wrong all the time. Jesus Christ called sin, sin. He confronted the religious leaders of his day and time. When Jesus Christ speaks these words that his soul is troubled, he's looking to the cross and what's going to take place at the cross. It is there that Jesus Christ would bear in his body the sins of the world. He who knew no sin would become sin for you and I. It looms on the horizon. And as a result, Jesus Christ has stepped back from the crowd. Perhaps he stepped back to contemplate the cross and what that would mean to him. Listen to what he says here. Go back and let's begin reading in verse 37. Though he, that is Jesus Christ, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. The people still chose to refuse to believe in spite of the miracles 
that Jesus Christ worked. Have you ever heard a person say, you know, if I could only see Jesus Christ perform a miracle, then I would believe. Have you ever heard somebody make that statement? Let me just say something that's not true. That's not true. I've met a number of different people like that in my life. I'm reminded of a story of the first church that I pastored. There was a young couple there had three boys. They were redoing their home, and the boys were outside playing, and a tragic accident happened. A beam fell from the ceiling of the home and struck one of the boys on the side of the head. I remember the father praying and begging God to save his life. And these were the words that he said as he prayed and begged, God, if you will only save my son's life, I will serve you. I will trust you. And you know what God graciously did? He saved the young boy's life. It was a miracle of the Lord. And you know what I can say about the young man? He never served God a day in his life. If you are simply looking for a miracle to believe, let me just share with you, the evidence is overwhelming. A miracle alone will not cause for you to believe in Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly. They had seen the miracles, the signs. Remember what a sign is? A sign points to something greater than itself. Every sign that Jesus Christ performed teaches us an important truth about who he was. And yet, they still did not believe. You see that? Go back to this passage of Scripture. Verse 38. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be filled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now I want us to pause right here because this is one of the most challenging verses found anywhere in the Word of God. I mean, when I read this verse of Scripture, it seems to completely contradict everything that Jesus Christ has taught throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus' desire has been that people would come to Him, that they would experience the abundant life. Think about the reason why John wrote this Gospel message, so that people might understand who Jesus Christ is. As a result of understanding who Jesus Christ is, they would believe on Him and they would experience life to the fullest. But then all of a sudden we read right here, it is God who has blinded their spiritual eyes and hardened their spiritual hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and would be healed. It seems as though that God's desire is that they would not be healed. Isn't that true? Do you see that? When I read these words, I'm asked, left with the question, why in the world would God do this to this group of people? It seems to me, when I read this text right here, this group of people is innocent. Would you agree with me? I mean, after all, the prophet Isaiah, many years before this time ever arrives, says God has blinded their spiritual eyes and hardened their spiritual hearts. 
Why? So that they would see with their eyes, unless they would see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. This seems contradictory to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? It seems to me that if there's any group of people that could claim innocence for their unbelief, it would be this group of people. Would you agree with me? I mean, it says it right there in the text. But I would say to you this morning, that is the furthest thing from the truth. There is no group of people that had received more truth concerning God than the children of Israel had. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 9, Paul said, it is the Israelites, the nation of Israel, who received the prophets, who had the covenants, who had the law, the sacrificial system, the patriarchs, They even had Jesus Christ the Messiah and they still chose to reject the truth that God had given them. So I want to say something to you this morning. This group of people here, they are far from innocent. They had received the truth concerning who God was. Very clearly, God had revealed Himself through Jesus Christ. No doubt, Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He fulfilled the Old Testament property, uh, prophecies, and over and over again, the children of Israel turned a blind eye to who Jesus Christ was. They were not innocent. So what does it mean when Isaiah says... God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they would see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Well, we have this phrase in theology that uses to describe what it is that is being spoken of here by Isaiah. It's this phrase. It's called judicial blindness. That's one of those big theological words, isn't it? Let me just kind of share with you what it truly means. This is what it means. God is always just in His actions. And God is just in blinding the eyes and the hearts of people who have received truth. We very clearly see this throughout Scripture. This group of people had so hardened their hearts against the Lord that the conviction of the Spirit of God could no longer penetrate the callousness of their hearts. If you get nothing else out of this message this morning, I want you to hear what it is that I'm fixing to say right here. This is of great importance. It is a serious thing to treat God's truth lightly. Because a person could miss out on the opportunity for salvation. I mean, it was true for this group of people. God had judiciously 
blinded them to the truth. Now, before we move on this morning to the second part of this sermon, just let me quickly make two statements about judicial blindness today. First, none of us know the point where judicial blindness takes place in a person's life. I don't know that. None of us know the point where a person so hardened their heart against the truth of God's Word that the conviction of the Holy Spirit can no longer penetrate their hearts. But we do know this. It is a truth that is taught throughout the Word of God. As a matter of fact, this is the very point that the Apostle Paul was driving home in chapter 1 of the book of Romans. I want you to hear what it is that is written in Romans chapter 1. It's rather a lengthy passage. I just want you to listen carefully to what it is that is said here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a disbased mind to what ought not to be done. Three different times in this passage of Scripture, Paul says, God gave them up. Do you see that? Can I just say something to you this morning? We are living in that time today. That is the place where we are living at in our culture today. It's not that people don't have a revelation of who God is. They have so hardened their hearts against God when the Holy Spirit convicts them. He cannot even penetrate the hardness of their heart. They have been... They have been given the truth of God's Word and who Jesus Christ is over and over again, and they've denied it, they suppressed it, they have pushed it away over and over again in their lives. To the point where this verse applies to people in America today. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. I don't know when that happens. I'm just telling you, judicial blindness is a truth that happens in a person's life where they have received the truth of God's Word over and over and over again and they have rejected it to the point 
where God says, okay, big boy, if that's what you want, I'm done. That's the truth. It's scriptural. That's exactly what God is saying here. Now listen, this is point number two about judicial blindness. Please hear me. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't harden your heart against God's truth. Don't harden your heart against the truth. Don't resist. If you don't know Jesus Christ, listen to the truth and respond. God loves you and He desires for you to know Him in a personal way. That's the reason He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take care of your sin problem at the cross. Don't resist the truth. Respond today to the gospel message. Don't continue to walk in unbelief. Please don't do it. Don't do it. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith. That is the plea. Don't walk in unbelief. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Number two, the second theme that we see in this passage of Scripture is the theme of belief. Earlier I shared with you that the word believe appears seven times in this passage of Scripture. In the opening part of this passage of Scripture, it's used in a negative connotation to refer to those who walked in unbelief. In the second part of this passage of Scripture, it's used in a positive connotation as Jesus Christ teaches us about what it truly means to believe. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ is going to make five important statements in this passage of Scripture to teach us about what it truly means to believe. Look with me in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Five statements that Jesus Christ makes. Five statements that we see throughout the Gospel of John that he makes in this one, sta- I mean, in this one passage of Scripture here. Number one, God sent His Son. Three different times Jesus Christ said that He was sent by God. That is the great truth of the gospel message. I have shared with you a number of different times what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is this. God came down to us. Isn't that, I mean, you want to talk about something that speaks of love? that God, the Son, would step out of heaven, wrap Himself in human flesh, and come here to earth. 
As a matter of fact, in John the third chapter in the 16th verse, these are the words that Jesus Christ spoke about Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son to show us the extent of His love for us. Number two, to see Jesus is to see God. This is the great truth of the gospel message. Do you remember how John starts the gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what? And the Word was God. Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. He was God in the human flesh, is who He was. That's what we read throughout Scripture. Do you remember how the angel introduced uh, uh, Jesus Christ to Joseph in Matthew, the second chapter? He says, and He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's the great truth of the gospel is that God the Father sent God the Son here to earth. It's not that Jesus Christ is lesser than God. Jesus Christ is co-eternal and co-equal with God is what we read in Scripture. Number three, Jesus is the light of the world. Did you hear what he said here in this passage of Scripture? Very simple. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus announced himself to the people in the Gospel of John as the light of the world. One of the great, uh, one of the great I am statements that is recorded. Now remember, in each of the I am statements, Jesus Christ is teaching us a very important truth about Himself. Listen to me carefully. Here's the truth when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. People apart from God stumble in spiritual darkness. They can't find their way to God. However, God has sent us His light, Jesus Christ, into the world to help us Find our way to God. Isn't that great? I mean, think about that for a moment. Now, those are to be challenging words to every one of us this morning who believers. You know why that is? In John, Jesus announces himself as the light of the world. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus announces us to the world as his light. Do you see that? That is who we are. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be making the light known in a lost and dying world. Let me say something here very quickly before we move on. This is so very important. Sometimes followers believe that it's enough just to live a good Christian life. And through living a good Christian life, people will be drawn into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I will tell you that is not true. There must always be a clear proclamation of the gospel. A demonstration must always be accompanied by a proclamation of the gospel message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do you see what I'm saying? 
People don't stumble into Christianity. People stumble in darkness. Do you see what I'm saying? But not in the light. When we are the light of the world, boldly proclaiming through demonstration and proclamation the good news of Jesus Christ, people come unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Number four, faith in Jesus brings salvation. Listen to what he says here. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I'd encourage you to underline those words, believe in me. Do you see that? Believe in. Did you hear what he said here? Jesus said, believe in yourself. Get the latest self-help book and read about how to make yourself a better person. Or believe in, in Buddha or believe in Muhammad. That's not what Jesus said, though, is it? Jesus said, believe in me, is what Jesus says. Now listen to me carefully. Salvation is found in no other person except for the person of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. It's the reason the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle Peter said, there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. Number five, this is important. Rejecting Jesus brings judgment. Rejecting Jesus brings judgment. Now listen, folks. These are the words of Jesus Christ, not my words. Four times Jesus Christ uses the word judge in this passage. Now Jesus clearly says that he did not come into the world to judge man, but to bring salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. And that's true. The first time Jesus came into the world, He did not come to judge men. But I would tell you, there is a day Christ is going to return. And when Jesus Christ returns, He will return as a conquering King who will judge the nations of the earth. That is very clearly told to us in the book of Revelation. He is going to judge one day. Now what's interesting here in this passage is this. Jesus says the very word that the unbeliever rejects will become their judge. Did you hear him say that here? Listen to what he says. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words as a, or has a judge, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now this is what Jesus Christ was saying. The written word always points to the living word. That's the reason why a person rejecting the word will condemn them, will judge them in the end. That's what Jesus said. Make no mistake, rejecting Jesus Christ brings judgment. Judgment now and judgment in the future. Unbelief and belief. Two themes that are very clearly seen in this passage of Scripture. The unbelief of those who had all of the evidence in the world. First hand, 
experience with Jesus Christ. And they chose to walk in unbelief. As I think about this text, unbelief and belief, the question that comes to my mind is this, as we close. Which one do you identify with? Which one do you identify with? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord who saves?